Well, good morning. Today we finish up our Advent series, The Christmas Option, and we have been looking at the Christmas story and the characters within and seeing all of the ways that they faced difficulties and inconveniences, the ways that they dealt with doubts, the way that they they dealt with troubled times. And we are beginning to see that because God is with us, because the Holy Spirit is available to us in all things and at all times, there are options for those of us who lean into what the Spirit longs to do in and through us. And so there, we are looking at this Christmas option, this option that as we move in and look at the difficulties in life, when we are inconvenienced, when we have these great disappointments, um, there is an option for us that we can begin to look and see what God is up to. And last week we saw the kind of the climax of the story. Jesus is born and the shepherds come and the magi are there uh, later on. And we looked at those two things and the difficulties and the things that they had to overcome in order to get there. And we should think now, we're tempted to think, oh well, this is God's Son, God's Son born into the world. It should be smooth sailing from there, right? That's our temptation always, that when God is involved, that somehow it should be smooth sailing after that. But we see right away in our story today and as we begin to look, that oftentimes life is not uh, what we thought it would be. But we need to lean in because we need to see this option that just because life is not the way we thought it would be, that doesn't mean that God's promises aren't true. It doesn't mean that God doesn't have an option and isn't working through all of this. I mean, we're going to look right into Jesus' life. He's born and He's there and the Magi come and they give those gifts, the gold, the frankincense, the myrrh. And then all of a sudden we realize there's this other character involved called Herod. And Herod longs and seeks to destroy the child. And so right away, the adversity, the disappointment, the inconveniences crop up right away in Jesus' life. And I believe that we will see today that Jesus, because He understands, because He has lived through the inconveniences and the disappointments, we will begin to see that He might just have options for us in our disappointments, in our inconveniences. I mean, we see in Jesus' life all through it that His people, the one that He was sent to be the Messiah of, get it so wrong. And they end up rejecting Him time and time again and eventually nailing Him to a cross. And so we need to know that Jesus understands the disappointments in our lives, even the most extreme. So, Let's start. How did they get so off track when it comes to understanding the Messiah? I mean, how in the world? I mean, didn't they have the Bible? Didn't they have the Scriptures? Couldn't they have known that this is what the Messiah would look like? Well, I'm going to invite us to look at a passage of Scripture that some of you have heard. We often quote it around here uh, in this, this context and this time. Maybe even if you've just been nominally around churches at Christmas time, you've probably heard this passage of scripture it's found in isaiah chapter 9 verses 6 and 7 i think it's in on page 472 of your pew bible if you want to look it up you can otherwise it'll be on the screen behind me but it says for to us a child is born to us a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called wonderful counselor mighty god everlasting father prince of peace 
Of the greatness of His government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over His kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So right away, we hear uh, that we begin to think, okay, so it's going to be somebody who's a strong leader, someone who's going to establish a great government. There's going to be justice and there's going to be righteousness. And uh, and yet there's a gentleness to it. There's the peace and there's uh, those kinds of things. So the strong but gentle leader will be there. And we began, they began to focus in on the reigning and on the peace. And how is peace accomplished in our day and age? By putting our enemies down, right? And we create peace. We win victoriously over our enemies. And that begins to push peace to the front when we have security and we know that the enemies are gone and we have the land. And so they began to to hope for this. And it became a big hope because, as you know, if you've studied any type of history... The Jews were persecuted and they were exported and imported and brought back and and overrun. And by the time we get to Jesus' time, the Romans were in control. And there was a lot of talk about the Messiah who would come, who would establish this kingdom, who would bring peace, which means He would destroy those Romans, get them out of here, and we would begin to sit on David's throne and God would accomplish these incredible things. And they begin to long. And they begin to hope for this. And they begin to see. But the problem is is that the actual Messiah, Jesus, comes unannounced. Comes humbly. And we know the story. Born in a stable. Uh, is visited by shepherds, not some incredible council of the wise. The outsiders, the most extreme outsiders, the Magi, are the next visitors. The outsiders becoming insiders. And things begin to go radically different. And as He begins to talk, not about an external kingdom that will bring peace through hard borders, but will bring peace by, as the Apostle Paul will say later on, tearing down the dividing walls between us. Not by driving out and destroying the enemies, but by bringing the enemies to be family. By leveling the playing field, by helping us understand that we may all have gotten God wrong. And that God is willing in love to even die to show how much God loves all humanity. Jesus talked not about an external kingdom, but knew that if we could get God to reign and rule on the human heart that is held captive by the patterns of sin, of selfishness, of wanting our own way, if God could reign and rule there, then then and only then would the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ. And he talked about and always pushed everyone to let God rule and reign in the human heart. To cleanse from sin, which then leads to the external change of enemies becoming friends. It makes me think that they were kind of like uh, the difference between trailers and the actual movie itself. Alright? Right, right here, I want to show this to you. Uh, this is a, uh, the, the last scene of a trailer for Avengers Infinity War. Okay? 
And as you can see, they're all ready. They're running off to um, avenge something. And, um, and you can see right back here in the back, do you see this guy right here? Who is that? The Hulk, that's right. He's running. I mean, he is ready to Hulk smash, do some damage. You know, get, we're, we're all pumped because if you've been on this Marvel journey, you know that now is the really big bad guy. Thanos is going to be there and he's going to smash. He's going to finally be a, a battle partner worthy of Hulk's strength and, and all those kinds of things. The problem is, I should probably say spoilers. All right. So just put your hands in your ears if you haven't seen it. Hulk is in this movie about one minute. When you actually sit down in the theater and see it, and you think, oh wow, this is awesome, right at the beginning. Then he gets beat up by Thanos, he gets thrown to earth by Heimdall, and he never appears in the movie the rest of the time. Now, David Banner still has a part to play, but you never see it again. So in that moment, those of us who saw it, you had a choice, an option. You could sit there and complain about how the movie wasn't like the trailer. Or you could really just enjoy the movie that actually was there. And we had this going on in Jesus' day and age. You see, they they had seen the trailer They had heard about the great leader who would overthrow the enemies and and do all those kinds of things. And when Jesus starts talking about how God really is, they get a lot uncomfortable. And so our first uh, Christmas option tells us that when our assumptions about God don't match who God really is, then we must let God shift our perspective. Not expect God to live up to our perspective. I mean, that's what we mean when we say God, right? That God is the one who is the creative, loving, saving God who created all that there is. And we are His people. And so when our assumptions get off, it is up to us to submit and allow God to shift our perspective of who God is. God gets to determine who God is. Can I get an amen for that? God gets to determine that. And when people have allowed this shift to take place, when they have chosen this option, it does make a dramatic change in the world. The first group of people to do it were the apostles and the women that followed Jesus at the very beginning. They allowed God to determine who God would be in the world, and they began to declare the good news of what Jesus had done. And we move on and we begin to see from St. Francis of Assisi on further, from Martin Luther King, from Martin Luther to Martin Luther King Jr., from John Wesley to Mother Teresa, when they allowed their understanding of God, their assumption to be changed by God into who God really was, it dramatically changed the world. We're called to that final cleansing as well to allow the Holy Spirit to show us who God is. Well, we've got to move on. 
Because we know that uh, this started right after his birth and they were kind of, the story tells us that they were driven out. We're going to look at that story here in a second. They're going to, they had a big ordeal to go through. So why don't you turn uh, to Matthew chapter 2 verses 13 through 23 and we'll read this together. Uh, when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, get up. He said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you. For Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt. Where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. I can't imagine what this journey would have been like for them to all of a sudden scramble after they've kind of built a life in Bethlehem over those couple of years that Jesus was alive. And now the angel says, you've got to go, you've got to, you've got to get out of here and you've got to get out of here fast. This right here is a picture of the road from, uh, kind of Bethlehem or Israel into Egypt right now, today. So just imagine this with no pavement, no signs. On a donkey, walking one of you with a two-year-old. Vacation, huh? Makes your uh, makes my drive to West Virginia a little less uh, painful. But then to think about it, after the journey, then to to get into a new city, to be wondering and always waiting for those soldiers' footsteps or the horses. Uh, uh, clip-clopping to come and, and to wonder who is coming to get my child. Imagine trying to learn the new language, to learn the new culture, to learn all these things. Do you see the inconveniences piling up one on top of another? I think if you or I were in that situation, I think we would begin to wonder, what is going on, God? Are, are you sure that has, did we do something wrong as parents? Did we already mess up the Christ child? Um, are we going to have to change something here? Is the dream dead? Have you, you know, this just seems like so difficult of a road. And I think they had to learn our Christmas option, our second one that says that our disappointment doesn't mean that the God dream is dead. And that's, that's a, a huge life lesson because so many of us come in today and the holidays, while some of us are overjoyed and can't wait for the packages and the songs and all the things that happen, some of us come so disappointed in what life has thrown us this week or this year. And we wonder, is there, is God really a part of this? Is there really the dream that needs, that's still going on? We can find ourselves in this exact same place. And today I want to encourage you that just because our disappointments, just because life hasn't lived up to our expectations does not mean that the God dream is dead. In fact, we'll see if we continue to read the story. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord again appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. 
So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, that he would be called a Nazarene. A little trivia, that's our name. That's where our name comes from. Church of the Nazarene, right there. Okay. Now you know, you can tell people. Jesus was a Nazarene, okay? He wasn't a part of our denomination. Uh, We took the name from him, all right? But we see that the dream wasn't dead, that God still, after all this time, once the danger was gone, God led them back. And led them out, again, a little bit inconvenient, out in Nazareth. We've talked about Nazareth before as kind of a in-the-sticks kind of place. Nobody important came from Nazareth. And, uh, and there was Jesus and Joseph and Mary. Well, speaking of Nazarenes, I want to talk with you about the dream that, that seemed dead. And yet God still had something. In 1907, there was a, there was a group of two churches that decided to meet. They had, uh, this idea that there could be a family church for the poor where people proclaimed that God's holy life could actually be lived in our real lives through the strength and power of the Holy Spirit. And they wanted churches where they could join together and preach this and minister together and help and serve. And they wanted to do this. They wanted. They had a dream of a national church that would stretch from sea to shining sea. And so the group that had started in, in Southern California met with the group that had started on the eastern seaboard and they met in Chicago, and they had invited those people from the South. Now remember, this was just a, you know about 40 years after the Civil War had ended. So there was still a lot of tension between North and South. But they had the dream, a God dream, for a church that would be a national church that would come together under this banner of service to the poor and holy living. That God's life in the power of the Spirit can actually be lived in our everyday lives. And so they met in Chicago in 1907. And the two groups from the coasts said, this is good. And they merged together. The group from the south went home a little disgruntled. And they decided, well, is the God dream dead? And they decided, well, we'll set up, we'll meet next time. We'll meet in Texas. We'll meet in the south. We'll meet on their territory. And all that year, there were wranglings and wrestlings back and forth about which way you're supposed to be baptized. How is the end of all things going to sum up together? We believe this way. Well, we're not so sure about that it happens that way. But it must be this way. It has to be this way. You need to dress this way. Well, that's not necessarily the case. And they began to argue and argue. And it just seemed that even when they met together in 1908 in a tent in Pilot Point, Texas, there were still bickerings going on. In fact, the meetings say that there was somebody from from the, the coastal groups that kept shouting out every time that somebody from the south would suggest one more rule or one more thing or one more way that it had to be. Brother, cut them loose! Cut them loose! Cut them loose! Can you imagine being in charge of this kind of meeting? I'm glad that you all are sitting there so nice and quiet. Brother, cut them loose! Cut them loose! And finally, Phineas Brzee, the chairman, said, Brother, I hear you. But we cannot cut them loose. For God has brought us together. And they are ours. We must do this thing. And as the day wrapped up, 
And the final vote was taken. And the merger was going to happen. The God dream was not dead, but there was another option to hold on and see what God would do. That the groups came together. And the minutes record that there was a brother from the South who stood up and said, I haven't hugged a Yankee my entire life, but I'm going to do it today. And a brother from Boston jumped up and said, I'll meet you in the middle. And they met in the middle and they embraced. The God dream was not dead. What is your God dream today? What is the thing you've been working on and maybe has stalled out? And maybe you're wondering, what am I doing in the world? What is God up to? It just seems like I can't get my feet to move me forward. Can I encourage you today to take the Christmas option? That says just because you're disappointed right now in this moment does not mean the God dream is dead. Hold on. Keep dreaming. See what the Holy Spirit wants to do with you in this next year. See what will happen as you wait patiently for the message to be clear that the dream is not dead. I, I know that we get tempted when we are in our disappointing times. We get tempted to think that the things that I've been a part of, the things that I've done, maybe I've messed up the God dream. We tend to think that our bad experiences are are beyond Jesus' capacity to understand or relate with. But I want you to know as we close out this whole series that our bad experiences aren't beyond Jesus' ability to relate to us. That because He went through all of these things, and far worse, isn't He the one that we should rest upon? Isn't He the one that we should go to and say, where is the next step in the dream that you are calling me forward in? I want you to finish. I want us to finish with this from uh, the Gospel of John. John chapter 1, beginning at verse 14. The Word, that is the creative Word, the Word of God, the living, leaping, laughing Word of God, who was at the beginning and created all things, became flesh and made His dwelling among us. And we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of what? Read it with me. Grace and truth. That word there, dwelling among us, actually means, is uh, if we were to translate it directly, tabernacled among us. Now, tabernacle seems strange, strange word for us, but it, think of it as a tent. It was the tent of meeting for the children of Israel. It was where God moved in the neighborhood. I want you to think about a tent for a second. A tent is a very intimate thing. It's not a, a, a brick and mortar. It's not soundproof. If you've ever gone camping, I'll show you a picture. Oh, it's sideways. Well, we were, we were camping in the, in the Redwoods. Evidently, it was very steep. Um, and we had a good time. You don't know this, but this is what I, I could wake up to every morning, just seeing the mist among the trees. You could hear the Pacific Ocean rolling in. But at night, you could also hear every cough, every snore, every cry of babies, Everything that was going on, because why? It's a very intimate thing to camp with people. And John wanted us to know today that the God who created all things has moved into the neighborhood. And it's not in a temple with brick and mortar with soundproofing. It is a tent. He is tented among us. And He wants you to know that He is comfortable in the midst of your disappointments, 
your insecurities, in the midst of your inconsistencies, in the midst of your depressions, in the midst of your illness, in the midst of whatever you think is killing the God dream right now, God has moved in intimately, purposefully into your world. And He is calling you. He will never leave you, never forsake you. And He invites you to place your trust in Him. I mean, isn't this the kind of God that you can fall in love with? Isn't this the one who you would trust to help you with your disappointments, whatever they may be? Isn't He the one that went all the way to death? Surely the God dream had died, but no, the story had not ended. There was still resurrection. So whatever the death place is for you, wherever the disappointments, the inconveniences are, can we move into 2019 saying we're going to choose the option that says the Holy Spirit is available. This God that looks like Jesus is available and will lead me into the God dream. He's the one I will trust to help me with my disappointments. He's the one that I will open my heart to, to allow God to come in and rule and reign, which cleanses from sin and changes everything in the world. Will you place your trust in Him? Will you choose this option as we close out 2018? Let's pray. Father, thank You that You weren't content to have us thinking that you were far off, but that you moved intimately into our midst. You weren't content leaving us in our disappointments, wondering about what we bring into the world and why we're here. You came to put your arms around us, to guide us and help us. And so today, Father, we... We ask that You would lead us to Jesus. That we would send or carve out some time this Christmas season to pray and to be honest about our disappointments, to be honest about the ways we've missed it, to be honest about our fears, And to choose to trust and wait for you to show us the dream. Help us today to receive the Spirit that guides and empowers, cleanses us, and moves us forward. For we need this Jesus as we move into 2019. We thank you, Father, for your love and your mercy. We're so overwhelmed that you are filled with grace and truth. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Would you stand and receive the final blessing? Receive this blessing. And now, may you, my brothers and sisters, choose the Christmas option and find that the dream is not dead. May you move into 2019 trusting in the One who moved into the neighborhood and is filled with grace and truth. I pray that you will go in the blessing of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Go in peace.